0: Hello and welcome, and welcome to another episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. I'm Dr. Terry Gibbs, your host. And today we have Dr. Joan Duggan from the University of Toledo Medical Center. And she is an infectious disease specialist there. Um, She is uh, the director and uh, program director and medical director for the Ryan White program uh, there at UTMC, And also she's presently in graduate school to get her uh, master's in public health. So welcome, Joan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're the the program director for the Ryan White program. And I think those of us who are a little older like me, I remember so emphatically the impact that that young man had on the the whole eye of the nation regarding HIV. Would you go back and just... Just remind us what the, his significance was.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard sometimes for people to remember, but people who are baby boomers, Gen X, um, during our, our formative years, HIV was associated with a huge and tremendous amount of fear and stigma it was considered an absolutely, and it was in the 1980s, a fatal illness. And there were a a tremendous amount of discriminatory practices that were um, experienced by people with HIV. And one young man, a little uh, young boy from Indiana who had HIV named Ryan White, decided enough is enough. Ryan developed HIV through blood transfusions, he was a hemophiliac, and his school essentially didn't want him to attend public school they were worried that sitting next to him the other students would get HIV and he decided in his early teen years enough is enough and he led sort of uh, led the movement to uh, end a lot of these discriminatory practices he didn't realize that he thought he was just trying to go to school. Um, He died um, and Interestingly, um, if you ever listen to Elton John talk about his life, he says that working with Ryan White was the way he found um, the path to sobriety. It was such a, a phenomenal experience working with him. In honor of the courage of this young man, the United States government put into place the Ryan White Care Act, which basically provides medical care to anybody infected with HIV in this country. And they named it after him because of his courage. So that's why HIV clinics, federally funded HIV clinics in this country are referred to as Ryan White clinics.
0: Awesome. I, I remember uh, his funeral was one of the biggest events of the year. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, both the who's who in. uh politics, and in entertainment all showed up Mm -hmm. at that huge event. So thank you for just uh, letting our our younger folks Mm -hmm. know what that was about. And today we want to, again, talk about the the prophylaxis against HIV in sexually active individuals, or we want to talk about what is PEP and PrEP. And to start, my first question is just that. What is PEP? And what is PrEP? So PEP and
1: PrEP, and I'm going to try to make sure I enunciate, because otherwise it, yes. <laughs> they sound it kind blends. of the same. Yes. yes. So PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, and PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, are two very, very, very important tools we have in our toolkit to end the HIV epidemic. So if anybody remembers, I believe it was in 2019, Donald Trump announced during the State of the Union address that the United States government was officially embarking upon the campaign to end the HIV epidemic by 2030 in this country. And the World Health Organization had announced this a few years before. Now, fast forward, we're going to have a pandemic. Resources are going to get diverted. Okay. But um, we're rebooting now to get back to ending the HIV epidemic, meaning stopping HIV transmission. And treatment is prevention, we have to find everybody with HIV, get them on meds, get their viral load um, undetectable, and then offer tools to prevent people who are exposed for, to HIV from developing active infection. So it is, So the, the whole point of PEP and PrEP is to have antiretrovirals on board medications that treat HIV before you're even exposed to the virus or very 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 shortly after you're exposed to the virus so infection doesn't set in so you're not permanently chronically infected to kind of abort early infection or prevent you from even getting it and that's what pep and prep is prep are medications you take usually on a routine basis before you're exposed to HIV and there's a new medicine and injectable that's advertised on TV for that and PEP is a medication you take emergently, you got to take the pills within 2 to 24 hours, emergently after you've been exposed to HIV And and you're not on any protective medications. How well does it work? They work fantastically. Okay. So, PrEP, when used as directed, well over 90, 95% uh, efficacy rates. Some people think a little bit higher. And that's taking a medication like Apritude. You can see that uh, that's an injectable advertised on TV or Descovir Truvada. Those are also advertised on TV. Taking them once a day or an injection once every two months before you're at risk of having HIV infection through sex, and they're extraordinarily effective. There's also a couple of uh, things like prep on demand and and some things that are um, not um, CDC- Uh, Don't don't have as much clinical data behind them at this exact point in time, but we do have excellent tools to prevent people who are sexually active, men and women, transgender men, transgender women, cisgender men, cisgender women, from HIV infection through sexual activity when taken on a regular basis. And that's PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, works fantastically. PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis. We think works fantastically. We don't have a lot of studies on that except in healthcare workers where we do know these work fantastically and they're part of OSHA's bloodborne pathogen plan. Healthcare workers are very, very used to this. After any potential exposure to HIV, they know they begin medicines within a few hours, take them for 28 days, and basically we, the last- healthcare worker in the U.S. infected with HIV on the job was a lab technician who was working with concentrated HIV virus in a laboratory. I mean, something you wouldn't ordinarily uh, encounter. The last patient care exposure um, was gone since we've had AZT, which for those uh, medical students that are listening, you got to watch that Tom Hanks movie, uh, Philadelphia. To uh,
0: to remember that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Or you got to watch um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, odd queen movie.
0: <laughs> so so um, it, scientifically, uh, mm-hmm. we talked about the retrovirus, but scientifically, what's the basis of uh, how both of these work?
1: So HIV replication can be stopped through anti retrovirals. These are meds that work on a couple of different ways um, to shut down viral replication or to stop the virus from intercalating into the DNA. And the viral mechanism of replication is, is relatively complicated. But these drugs work by stopping the virus from either entering into the white blood cells where the called CD4, type, type of T-cell, um, T-helper cell, from stopping the virus from getting into the cell and setting up active replication and or intercalation into the DNA. Integration is the word we used. And the drugs, therefore, for... Pre-exposure prophylaxis are either integrase inhibitors or uh, nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. So they either stop transcription or integration into the DNA. Is, uh,
0: is the same meds for a uh, medical worker exposed to HIV the same medication that you would give somebody uh, that is sexually active that it got exposed sexually, uh, you know, the PEP the the post uh, yep. prophylaxis is it, are those the same meds? Yes. Okay. Yes. So PEP is exactly the same.
1: So what? And it's a it's it's essentially it's the exact same screening. Um, it's the exact same um recommendations for treatment. Um, you know the only difference is for healthcare workers. Um, sometimes we don't need to draw their hepatitis B. Um, antibodies, because we already have those on record, because you have to go through your screening to start work and get your vaccines. But, you know, those are just very, very minor differences um, between um, the way PEP works for occupational exposures and non-occupational exposures.
0: Okay. Who does the CDC recommend uh, get these meds? With the capital W, capital H, capital O. Who who gets these meds?
1: Okay. So anybody at risk of HIV infection should get PrEP or PEP. And if you take PEP after a non-occupational HIV exposure, we like to make you or like to offer you the option of rolling into PrEP. Okay, and whereas PEP would be, I'm just going to use a couple of of medications, Descovy plus another one called Kivike, for example, PrEP is just the Descovy, okay, as advertised. And the reason I'm using those meds is because they're advertised on TV. So people, you know, can actually hear the commercials that uh, give all the warnings and things. So um, the people for whom PrEP should be given to, PrEP and PEP, first of all, are anybody who asks for it. So anybody who is, regardless of what information they're sharing with you, feels they are at risk is a candidate for PrEP, okay, and PEP. It can be explored later, but, you know, anybody who's asking for it um, should should be strongly considered uh, as a candidate for getting PrEP. Um, Basically, if your partner has HIV, you're a candidate for PrEP. Now, treatment as prevention, so we know in the clinical trials that anybody who has an undetectable viral load can't transmit HIV. And I want to say, I'm going to say that two more times (laughs) because it's so (laughs) mind-blowing for most people. And we know it takes about 17 years for something to hit the guidelines and then make it into clinical practice. Yes, so here we go. Yes. If your viral load, the amount of virus in your bloodstream is undetectable by our tests, you cannot transmit HIV through sex. Okay. Let's say it a second time. If <laughs> your viral load is undetectable for HIV, you cannot transmit HIV through sex. All right, so that's from large clinical trials with well well over 100,000 patients. Wow. But why do we say, therefore, that you're offered PrEP if you have an HIV positive sexual partner? Why are you a candidate for it? Well, I just told you if you're on your meds that um, you can't transmit um, HIV, okay. So this is the difference between a clinical trial and real-world application. Right. In a clinical trial, I can guarantee you what somebody's viral load is, and I can watch it, and I can watch the partner too. In the real world, I can't guarantee that your partner didn't lose their insurance and has now been out of meds two to three months or didn't have, you know, horrible stomach Mm -hmm. flu for three weeks and wasn't able to take anything, right? That's the difference between a clinical trial and real world. So in those, so that's why we say that if you have a partner who's HIV positive, you're not on a clinical trial, you're a candidate for PrEP. Okay. The other one is having an STD. So having chlamydia, yep, that's an STD. Gonorrhea, syphilis, if you've had an STD, you are at risk for HIV.
0: So is it, have or had is had okay. uh, ST, STD, yeah.
1: so within within the last six months okay. definitely um some people think you know, um if you have a history within the last year or so um because remember a lot of people um have histories of STDs might not make it into the medical record. you know they go, you know you're on epic you know, the EMR the health department is on e-clinical works or whatever, um, and we're relying on patient um, presented data. So we'll take any history of bacterial STDs that don't go back 10 years as a potential risk factor, okay? Inconsistent use of condoms, no use of condoms during intercourse, um, exchange of sex for something, okay? Transactional sex. Survival sex, these put you at risk of HIV statistically. Um, A partner who is doing that, a partner who is at risk for HIV, injection drug use, STDs, multiple partners for yourself or your partner. Um, Because, you know, a monogamous relationship is only monogamous if both people are monogamous. You may be in a monogamous (laughs) relationship and your partner may not be in a monogamous relationship. Right. So that puts you at risk of HIV infection.
0: Big question now is mm-hmm. who should be giving PEP or PrEP? Okay. So the um,
1: currently, in some states, pharmacists can prescribe um, PEP and or PrEP. Okay. So you can get those started literally at a pharmacy. And, you know, this, this idea is really, really catching on because it's kind of like Paxlovid. Right. Yes. Yes. Like you can do the diagnosis. And if you go to the pharmacist, that's where the meds are. Right. Yeah. They're yeah. right. there. There's no middleman. You can get them. Um, that's the whole concept between Kroger having the little clinics. You, know, you put your nurse practitioners, your meds all in one one unit or those kiosks that are available now for blood pressure monitoring, et cetera, because, um, you know, you, you've you know, like Toyota's just in time chain um, supply chain type of stuff. Pharmacist can in some states, not in Ohio, not in Michigan, but in some states you can get Pep and Prep through a pharmacist. Otherwise, the vast majority of public health departments can prescribe Pep and Prep. Urgent cares can, although urgent cares are not. Pep is an emergency medication. Okay, that's considered a medical emergency because it's a two to twenty-four hour window. Urgent care centers are a great place to to get Pep. Um, Prep is something that that is more of a chronic outpatient. Medication. And so, usually, we prefer people get those from their primary care providers or their health departments um, as opposed to using urgent cares or ERs to obtain those medications. But those are also places where you can access a provider that can write a script.
0: Okay. That's wonderful to know. Because that's like you said, especially with the, the PEP, I mean, it's got to be right now. And who can I, it's Saturday night, and how can I get this accomplished? So- exactly. So you have a, a patient that shows up at your front doorstep mm-hmm. and they feel they have or are at risk for, for HIV. Mm-hmm. What does your counseling sound like to them? What, what do you talk about?
1: One of the first things um, we're going to determine is do they already have HIV infection and do they have other STDs? And so we can do either rapid tests draw or, or draw blood work And get them started on medications. Now, so what we want to talk to people about is safer sex, ways to keep themselves healthy. And we're always really glad when somebody comes into clinic because that is like the first step in keeping themselves healthy. We provide education about use of condoms, safer sex, decreasing risk, and then a medical assessment to make sure they're appropriate for PEP and PrEP. So to make sure that they have good, you know, blood work, make sure their liver enzymes are good, their renal function is good, that sort of thing.
0: What what is the guidelines, uh CDC guidelines for you for your use of let's let's just talk about PrEP right now. Mm-hmm. What Get are PrEP. the guidelines? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are the guidelines for using PrEP?
1: Okay. So the guidelines is kind of a four-step pattern. It is actually the same thing for PEP as well, but first thing is determine who's at risk. So make sure they have risk factors. Second step is a medical evaluation to, evaluation to determine who should get treated, okay? Because again, some people might have a problem with their kidneys or their liver or they might have chronic hepatitis B that would make us alter a little bit the, the treatment recommendations. The third thing we do is write the script for PrEP and then the fourth thing is make sure it's it's working, OK, meaning make sure they don't have occult HIV infection where they're not in the incubate, the eclipse or the window or the incubation period um, for HIV. And then once we get them stable and on PrEP, then we bring them back every three months. So usually it's a first visit with a whole bunch of labs a return within one month. And then every three months after that is the usual pattern. And, you know, we're looking for things during our medical evaluation, like do they have signs or symptoms of acute HIV infection, which is going to look like influenza illness. Okay. Uh, do they have um, good kidney function? Do they have chronic hepatitis B? The reason being that for chronic hepatitis B, if you if you start the meds like Descobie and Truvada, which are NRTIs, it's a certain class of drug, interestingly, they also treat hepatitis B. But once you start treating them for hepatitis B, you're not supposed to stop them without very, very close monitoring. Otherwise you can get a hepatitis B flare.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, you know, these are pretty extensive uh, guidelines and very specific. Um, What most of the world deals with family docs, maybe an OBGYN like me, uh, Mm -hmm. internal medicine, so on and so forth. What can we do to help uh, people like you who are at the cutting edge of all this, uh, get people where they need to be.
1: So first of all, order hiv tests the cdc says everybody between 13 and 64 should have an hiv test and the reason they put the cutoff at 64 was not because people over the age of 64 aren't sexually active but because of a a structural thing in this country called medicare um, (laughs) and payment right so that's why they put it at 64 all right everybody 13 to 64 should get an hiv test the recommendation by the U.S. Uh, Preventative Task Force services is that everybody get one HIV test so they know their baseline. Okay, so everybody should get at least one HIV test. So, uh, what I need primary care providers to do if we really want to end the HIV epidemic is the following. Number one, get used to talking about sexual histories, okay?
0: Yay! <laughs> ask Say that people, again. yeah, okay, do you yeah. want me to do this one yeah, yeah. two more, okay, <laughs> yeah.
1: um, ask, get a sexual history, okay, finally, get a sexual history, okay, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and the CDC has a great way of doing it, you know, just asking, like, and learning, just learn how to to ask these questions like you would a foreign language or the things your mother told you to do like say oh sorry i bumped into you you know just just let it come out as as the normal script do you have sex with men women or both okay and you need to make it part of a person's health like their mental health i look forward to the day as my father says my 93 year old father says when people talk about going to take care of their mental health like they do going to the dentist. Amen. Okay. Amen. It's just a normal part of what you do to stay healthy. You have dental flaws and mental flaws. Okay. <laughs> and there so people need to have the same attitude towards taking a sexual history. The problem is we have a tradition in this country that this is this is associated with stigma, shame, and guilt to talk about sex. It's it's it makes it very very difficult as, as physicians to to overcome in a, a typical you know ten minute office visit to overcome um, you know twenty centuries of of, of difficulty in discussing this. Um, but you got to start talking about sex, okay? And you need to ask people to get an HIV test, and they need to think of this as a way to keep themselves healthy, okay? It's not a license to to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do it's it's not not something you're um you know we used to teach and I actually um i don't remember if they were still doing this when you were in uh, medical school but if you remember in psychiatry in the 1980s they were still teaching us that occasionally quite asking people about suicide ideation could plant the seed for suicide okay we now know that that's bunk okay asking somebody about their risk for suicide doesn't increase the risk that they will have a complete uh, completed suicide right? Asking people about sexual behaviors and sexual activity does not increase high-risk sexual activity. In fact, studies have shown it does just the opposite. It decreases it. So what I need providers to do is to start talking to patients about sex, ordering HIV tests, and looking at this as a way to keep people healthy, give people the information that they need so they can live the, the best lives they can and stay as healthy as they can.
0: Awesome. awesome. You also have talked and taught about uh, PrEP and PEP with doxycycline, with an mm-hmm. antibiotic. Yep. Um, would you get into that just for a minute?
1: Okay. So this is an area of research that is not yet ready for prime time but getting closer but we still have a couple of the really really key questions that have to be answered so the idea is that if you are if you are at risk for hiv you're also at risk for also for other sexually transmitted diseases like um, syphilis gonorrhea chlamydia and in the state of ohio we're currently having an outbreak of syphilis we're seeing um, record cases of syphilis Um, congenital uh, syphilis stillbirths we haven't seen since the 50s and 60s i mean it's 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 we're really having a a, an epidemic with this Mm -hmm. antibiotics can decrease those rates um, using drugs such as doxycycline along with preventatives such as PrEP and PEP however here's the problem with that there's a couple of things we don't know yet like is this going to increase resistance amongst other bacteria like staph aureus okay so we're still trying to sort that stuff out because remember you know antibiotic use is a two-edged sword while it works fantastically you get resistance and so sometimes you create superbugs type of thing so it's um there's definitely good data out there but how we're going to use that technique of extra antibiotics to keep people healthy has not yet been um defined.
0: So that would be something I would leave up to somebody like you. I would not offer uh, an antibiotic to somebody who's out there just dating people and having.
1: Yeah, that's not. Okay.
0: Nothing. Okay, good. Now, I think the biggest thing for me that I, you know, save the biggest for last. Let's talk about barriers. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one, access. Number two, cost.
1: Mm -hmm. So. In the state of Ohio, we have a program called Poppy, P A P I, the Poppy Program, and it's funded by the Ohio Department of Health, which lets you access prep in through the state of Ohio. You have to fill out paperwork. You have to um, see a provider that does that's um, state of Ohio says uh, does um, Poppy. Those are often at health departments, and the state of Ohio will help you obtain PrEP if it's appropriate, so that you can protect your health. So we have state funded programs in our state and many other states have similar programs, not all. Um, The drug insurance companies are required to have patient assistance programs for people who cannot um, um, afford medications. And then they often give uh, copay cards. And the vast majority of uh, insurance plans actually cover these drugs now. Awesome. So in fact, one of them is going to go generic Um, I think it has gone generic. So,
0: what if somebody, you know, calls, talks to our office and they have a problem with getting off of work, especially because they're, they don't want to tell their work that they're concerned about their HIV. Are those the people that I send to, uh, you know, emergency rooms after hours, what do you do with those or for those people that can't get off work?
1: So, yeah, this is, you know, um, a big problem in this country with health with access to healthcare because it's not just people that can't get off work. It's what about people who live in an area where there's only one provider in town, one system that takes Anthem and they don't have Anthem, you know, that type of thing. It's just a general question of access to care. That's a very, very difficult question. And unfortunately, there's no good answer to it, except to to contact um, generally the state health department and see what resources they have available. Um, All states have um, epidemiology units that monitor HIV infections, and often have resources that they can direct you to for HIV, for HIV preventative care?
0: Well, just because, you know, you get um, uh, somebody during the work week or they they work on the weekend and they call and they have this concern, Mm -hmm. you know, just where do I send them right now? Because they have hours to get treated. Yeah. So Generally, um, your local health department or an urgent
1: care center. Okay, good. Are the generally, general, the two ways. And most, um, every county, I think, I think, it, I think every county in the U.S. does have a public health department, um, and so those are that that would be the type of place you would access, or an urgent care center.
0: You know, finally, I I, I wanted to publish some uh, resources for guidance uh, for our listeners in the show notes. And uh, do you think that the the uh, CDC guidance for prep? I know there's a lot of information about that. Is that the best uh, resource that I can? published for
1: people. Yeah, that's an excellent resource. And I'll actually send you a couple of other links. Um, okay. Good. Because um, the CDC actually has some um, information about how to, touching on many of the questions you just asked, as part of the End the HIV Epidemic Program for this country. Awesome. EHE.
0: Finally, I, I wanted to know, give us your last parting shot, your pearl that you know, that that thing you just want to <laughs> make sure we know.
1: The thing I want you to know is your HIV status. Because if you're positive, you should be treated. You will have a normal life expectancy with appropriate treatment of HIV and you will not be able to transmit it. You need to know your HIV status. Everybody should get an HIV test. Just one to know. So the parting shot is get an HIV test, just so you know. And that's the best way you can take care of your health and the health of your loved ones and your partners.
0: Well, we want to thank you for, for taking your time today. This is a uh, not a real well-known subject among most people, and you're an expert. So uh, this was so helpful today. So thank you for your time, and we appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.